Hey, everyone, and welcome to Locked on Lakers for Friday. Brian Kamenetsky, Andy Kamenetsky. Is Dylan Brooks going to get all up in LeBron's head? That's next. You are Locked on Lakers. Your daily Los Angeles Lakers podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team every day. Thanks to everybody for making Locked on Lakers your first listen of every day, Monday through Friday, no matter how or where you get your podcast. It's always going to be free. It is never going to be behind a paywall. And uh, thanks to all of you, Locked on Lakers on YouTube is where you can go to see the show and more importantly, participate and communicate with and be one with a gigantic community of Lakers fans, over 15,000 subscribers strong to that show every day, growing like weed like a weed andy um well we are recording on 420 the show will be heard on 420 oh that's right but yeah this show is actually being done on 420 um which i imagine a lot of laker fans needed in to indulge in uh, thanks to, to what happened on 419 <laughs> yeah for, 420 was very very well uh timed on the old calendar i tell you what now i am zooted out of my mind right now um anyway uh, we'll get to this LeBron James, Dylan Brooks sideshow. It is both an important uh, matchup on the floor. It is an entertaining subplot of the of the thing. Uh, it is all kinds of stuff because as Dylan Brooks will tell you, he pokes the bear, Andy. He's a bear poker. Um, but before we get there and into some of the other things we'd like to see change between uh, games two and three other than the score – I, I wanted to talk about, like, I was sort of just, like, thinking about through much of the day what was annoying me so much about Game 2. And we kind of touched on it a little bit. It's not... Memphis did not play a particularly strong game. Like, and that... Z- I think Xavier Tillman was the star of the game for Memphis. Mm-hmm. And, you know... Credit to a role player for stepping up when your star is out. Somebody needs to do the job. But yeah, no, no, I mean, the, the Grizzlies did they didn't do anything so much special as the Lakers just didn't rise to their energy and their intensity and their desperation. And I think that's what you sort of just lingers about this game. It's like it's not that they lost that they didn't because they didn't have John Morant, you know, on a day where the, the Grizzlies didn't have John Morant, which is obviously an important consideration. But like you say, six of 18 for Bain, five of 14 for Brooks, five of 12 for, for Jackson. You know, the Grizzlies shot 43%. They were 31% rounding up from three point range. Like it's, they didn't even have the Lakers didn't even have to play that well to win this game, and they still didn't manage to do it. Um, the other part of that, though, is like okay, so we're now we're twenty four ish whatever hours removed by the time everybody hears this, closer to forty eight. Um, getting ready for Game Three, it's going to be an insane atmosphere uh, at home for a bunch of fans who have not seen a playoff game in that building in a long time. Um, so, you know, the atmosphere is going to be great and all of that stuff. And like, if you look big picture at 
at where the Lakers are, I, I, I think I'm like I'm sure they're trying to do it is sort of learn the lesson of game two and then move on and sort of not linger on it because you got the split. You can't, you're coming back home and you have an opportunity against a team that is not that great on the road to go up three, one, if you do things right. Yeah. But here's the thing. I mean, obviously, you know, guys talked about this after the game, Darvin, LeBron, especially it's not best of one. It's best of seven. It's first to four. And the series is nowhere close to over for the Lakers in the face of disappointment. And they are totally correct. And on balance, going back home as the lower seed down or not down, just down a game split one-to-one, that's fine. But the problem is the missed opportunity, the potential opportunity costs, but just there is no such thing as a throwaway game in the playoffs. I don't care who you are. I don't care how good you are. They all matter incredibly much. They are all extremely extremely important because you never know what can happen moving forward. A guy can get injured in a way that doesn't take them out of, out of the entire series or out of the entire playoffs, but could miss a few games. But takes him out of a game. Absolutely. Why Leonard's not going to play, what is it? Game three. um, Yeah. Tonight. This game will be over by the time people hear this show. Like, but Thursday night, no Kawhi. Giannis, these, didn't, Giannis didn't play game two of that series. All of these games are incredibly precious. And as far as lessons learned, I certainly hope that they were. But this was not a lesson that should have been required to learn. You know, you try in the playoffs. Bust your ass. Like, that should not require a lesson to learn when you are a team that spent, like, 85% of the season trying to get to 500. And like, I get it. Post-All-Star, you were, I think, nine games above 500. Like, I get it. But on balance, you're not at a place yet where cocky should even remotely <laughs> right. be a thing. It's, um... God, it's just so annoying. The game is so annoying. I'm still annoyed by this game. Um, you know, again, I made the comparison for, for Thursday's show, like if this were your kids, you'd be, you'd be looking at that game in the middle of the fourth quarter going, I hope they don't come back and win. Like they do not deserve to, to win this game and, and, uh, and all that. But like, you know, you understand in sports, like go win the game. It's more important. Um, but anyway, we'll see what happens in game three. Uh, I would be very surprised, not necessarily if the Lakers don't come out. And they, if they could miss shots, they could, but if they don't come out with significantly more energy than they did um, in game two, I, I don't know what we're doing here. Well, I, I can tell you what I think we're doing here. I think what that means is they're spent. It, it means that they used up so much energy getting themselves into a place where the postseason was even a possibility. It means that they are either physically fried, mentally fried, or both. That's my only guess, because if you can't find urgency in the playoffs at home, then, again, if you don't play well, you don't play well. That can happen. But if you can't find a sense of urgency in the damn playoffs at home, you you are spent in some fashion 
with this team in particular. That's the only uh, conclusion I can come to. And obviously all eyes on Anthony Davis after a terrible game, uh, game two offensively. Um, he does have a good track record of bouncing back in these types of things. If you read his body language, if you you know saw the post game interviews after game two, he did not. You know, LeBron was fairly, I think, you know, given what happened, relatively upbeat, very steady, um, and you know, talking about you know the, the 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 big picture of it all in a way that you would kind of want LeBron to be talking about. You don't want. I don't think anybody. You don't want to light anybody on fire with game days in between and create headlines and create controversy and all that kind of stuff. You kind of you know bleep the bed, move on, whatever. Anthony Davis looked like a guy who knew he just played horribly and was annoyed by it, was angry by it. And I hope that's the case. Well, we you know I know we may get into some things that we would like to see different in Game Three. And one of those things is, A, the, the team in general just needs to get off to a quicker start. Mm-hmm. And there, there's one area in particular turnovers that we might focus on. But in case we don't, just they need to avoid early turnovers for a variety of reasons. But I think it's really important Anthony Davis gets off to a good start because I think I think his starts can often affect his mood and his vibe and just his general comfort level on the floor. Like, you know, like, you know, like LeBron talks about, being comfortable with being uncomfortable. And that's something that I think LeBron genuinely feels. And there are people who are comfortable with that. Kobe was very comfortable with being uncomfortable. Anthony Davis is not a guy that is comfortable with being uncomfortable. And, and I don't like. mean, no, and, I, and look, I don't mean that as a shot at Anthony Davis or a criticism of him. I'm just saying th- this is his nature. I don't think he is one of those guys that is, really comfortable with being uncomfortable. So it would really help if they were looking for AD early, if they established him, put him in good position, and he actually makes good on it. Um, All right. So if you missed it, Dylan Brooks uh, called uh, himself a a poke of bears. He called LeBron James old. He says that uh, he doesn't respect guys until they drop 40 on him. Um, 35, I guess, isn't good enough. 38, 39, still not enough. It's got to be 40. Yeah, I got some um, thoughts on that. Yeah. Basically, you know, he was the one making we'll the board material. And I am I'm curious as to what you think, what kind of effect this will have on the way LeBron plays in game three. And so we'll talk about that next. Locked on Lakers is brought to you by Nissan, and Nissan's most electric player of the week is brought to you by the all-new, all-electric 2023 Nissan Aria, and the award goes to Rui Hachimura. Nobody has elevated their play to the level expected of them, and then some, I think, than Rui Hachimura during these playoffs. His smooth, elegant jumper is dropping from all spots around the court. It's automatic efficiency. He is the first Laker since Magic in 1996 with back-to-back 20-point games off the bench. It's been a shot of electricity for a second unit that, to put it generously, needs to pick up the production. He also is using his strength on the defensive end, making himself difficult to move on post-ups or guys lowering their shoulder into him. Be more like Rui, many, many other Lakers. The 2023 Nissan Aria packs pin you to your seat power and premium intelligence all-in-one EV, the all-new, all-electric 2023 Nissan Aria, the EV for people who love to drive. Shop now at NissanUSA.com. 
Um, do want to thank everybody as always for making Locked On Lakers your first listen of every day. For the everydayers out there, uh, check back in on Saturday because uh, Saturday, I mean, Sunday after Saturday night's game, plan obviously to uh, record something following Game Three. So uh, keep an eye out for a special weekend edition of the Locked On Lakers podcast. We'll uh, appreciate everybody checking in. So. Um, before we get to LeBron, I do want to note Austin Reeves got himself a little bit of uh, postseason award love. He got uh, seven points in the um, sixth man of the year voting, uh, which wasn't enough to win. But I'm sorry, nine points. He had seven votes, nine points. Uh, that was good enough for looks like seventh um, right behind Tyus Jones. So um, there you go. Some rivalry there. I was not really expecting Reeves to get anything here. I thought he might pick up some most improved player votes, but the six-man thing was was a bit of a surprise. Yeah, I, I don't really think of him as a six-man because, A, so much of the hype and I, I think a lot of the notoriety that he's gained this season has really come once he, he entered permanently the starting lineup and how much it helped the starting lineup for him to be there. But also a lot of this season when he was coming off the bench, he felt like he was the seventh or eighth man because all the focus was on Russell Westbrook and right. you know his Vegas odds for sixth man of the year. And was he managed gonna was he gonna be the first person to ever win sixth man of the year on like a 10-win team? You know, something <laughs> like that. But like I, I never I, I have not really thought of Austin Reeves as a sixth man that way you know like locked on lakers then uh the all the nba hosts we did an awards balloting of our own and i didn't i i didn't vote for reeves first second or third he just didn't even come to mind for me i completely forgot to turn in a ballot i just i i, I sort of ignored the entire thing but i wouldn't have put him up there anyway um i will say this this was uh reeves's last best chance i think over at least as he's a. Uh, if he stays a Laker through, you know, through this offseason into next year to win sixth man of the year, because he's not coming off the bench next year, I don't think, assuming the team looks basically like it does now. Um, uh, I would be surprised if he doesn't just become a starter. And if a, a team signs him, I guess if, it, if he ends up leaving, I could see a team signing him to a pretty big money deal to serve as their sixth man who closes a lot of games. I mean, that's yeah. it's not a bad for Reeves, no. but if he stays in L.A., he's going to start. Yeah, I, I would think so as well. Either way, I, I recognizing game two was a letdown from game one. He's still a guy that I think is set to get the bag. So right. he's going to be getting a nice salary no matter where he ends up. And it was a letdown to game, relative to game one, but it was also um, – he he was on the you know on the all star team for the Lakers compared to three quarters of his teammates just by not being terrible. Um, let's talk about LeBron and Dylan Brooks. Uh, <laughs> Dylan Brooks is is he trying? Do you do you think he's like actually trying to get into LeBron's head? Is this or is this more about just the process that Dylan Brooks goes through in order to feel like he can be his most Dylan Brooksiest? That was... I mean, look, I think there's a lot of things going on. I think Dylan Brooks, this is a motivating factor for him. I think it is also a branding thing for him. Like Dylan Brooks has explicitly said he has not made his name yet, uh, at least to his liking in the NBA. In Dylan Brooks's mind, he is a first team all NBA star at the level of 
LeBron, Steph Curry, you know, Kobe, Magic, Kareem, MJ all rolled into one. But he he is acknowledging the rest of the world has not caught up with common sense. I think he is curious to see whether or not he can bother LeBron, you know, annoy him to the point where you take LeBron out of his game a little bit. You know, I because I think from his perspective, because he's clearly somebody that does that leans into the idea of being the villain. He has embraced this. I think it is in part his personality. I think it is in part, again, what he sees as his track to notoriety. Yeah. So I think and I, does- like, look, I mean, certain guys, everybody, athletes are weird. They are very strange. Being, even guys who get to this level, they all, you know, if they don't have a chip on their shoulder, they manufacture one. They do all kind, you know, and there are certain guys, and I think, you know, Pat Bev is one. Draymond Green has been one over the course of his career. Different players um, occupy a character. I feel like it's almost, they're almost like actors in, in places where they feel they need to be them their best selves and, and, and perform at their best. They need to go occupy a space that may or may not be what they are in their regular life. But and I don't know enough about Dylan Brooks to know if like, is this what he's like at like a Sunday barbecue? I've, I have no clue. I've read but. some profiles of Brooks. It seems like if nothing else, this is an enhanced version of who he actually is mm-hmm. in the same way, as much as I, I've said before, including on this show, I think Draymond Green is very much into the branding of and spreading of the character and persona of Draymond Green. I think this is also an enhanced version of who he actually sure. is. Patrick Beverly is super aware of the Patrick Beverly show. We talked about that a lot over the course of this season. He is hyper aware of doing it. I also think this is an extension of who yeah. Patrick Beverly actually is. Right. And as as guys get older too, you know, players who are kind of like these dudes, the chip on their shoulder, the undersized guys that never got the, the be as their skills to t- diminish a little bit, they end up leaning harder into the performative aspects of it. The, the bigger question, though, I think is is obviously whether or not you think this is actually going to have any influence on the way LeBron plays, because that to me is the is the the critical question for the Lakers. And like you say, the experiment that Dylan Brooks may be running with here. Well, okay. first of all, it is absolutely worth pointing out, you know, where Dylan Brooks has said that he doesn't respect anybody until they give him 40 Um I noted this on Wednesday's show, the way our Thursday show, the way basketball actually works and the way nobody is ever matched up against anybody really that long. It is damn near impossible to truly letter perfect, give another guy 40. But that being said, um, piece that I saw from uh, Tim McMahon, who's covering the series for ESPN, LeBron James is averaging 24.5 points on 51.3 percent shooting in this series and has gone seven of 14 on the floor with Brooks as his primary defender in the two games, according to ESPN stats and information research, which means that really the greatest impediment to LeBron giving Dylan Brooks 40 is actually Dylan Brooks, not guarding him enough. <laughs> like if Brooks actually guarded him on a more regular basis stands to reason LeBron would give him 40 without necessarily that much work. Like, he's kind of smoking Dylan Brooks when Dylan Brooks is his primary defense. He's, he's certainly not being bothered by him. And look, the um, reality, 
doesn't matter no. when you're Dylan Brooks. No, no, not at all. Um, because again, this is all stuff that's that's playing out in his head. But I I have trouble believing that LeBron, 20 years in, is going to play any differently than he otherwise would have following you know the the bear comments the old comments the all this stuff that that brooke said after game two um i do think there's a piece of the venn diagram here of like possible outcomes in which he puts up 40 um and looks like a player playing with a great degree of purpose in in the process but i'm not sure i i don't think i would necessarily chalk that up to stuff dylan brooks said um, because it's game three of the playoffs and LeBron, a student of basketball history, is smart enough to know the team that wins game three generally goes on to win the whole, you know, win the series, you know, in a one one tie. So I'm not expecting it to look a whole lot different. But that said, it wouldn't surprise me if LeBron went for a big number on Saturday because the Lakers kind of need him to go for a big number. I was just about to say, and this is, uh, um, a disheartening commentary on where the series has been so far. Other than Rui Hachimura, nobody is scoring at an acceptable level with an acceptable ease or efficiency in this series so far other than LeBron. So the mm -hmm. Lakers may just need LeBron to go for 40. Were I to guess, he's not going to take the bait in a way that's obvious. But look, Kobe was one of the smartest athletes you and I have ever been around. He is hands down the mentally toughest athlete I have ever been around. I can't even think of a close second. And Kobe understood the psychology of basketball and the game within the game, within the game, within the game, as well as any athlete in any sport you and I have mm -hmm. ever been around. Kobe was not above getting baited, though. The Kobe could get baited into stuff. You and I saw this covering the last 10 years of his career. It would happen at times. Not often, but often no, but it happened. And there's there's actually though there's a and there's a reason I think that Kobe was a little more prone to that versus uh LeBron. So we'll talk about that and we'll talk about some uh potential tweaks for game three and we'll do all of it next. Locked on Lakers is brought to you by eBay Motors. And for a championship team, it's about making sure every player is a perfect fit. It's the same when it comes to your vehicle. Every part needs to fit just right. Lakers, pay attention to this. Make the parts fit right. So the next time you need parts and accessories, head to eBay Motors. With eBay Guaranteed Fit, you are sure that every part you need fits right the first time around. Just add your ride to My Garage and look for the green check to know that the part will fit or your money comes back. And just like in sports, confidence is the name of the game when you shop on eBay Motors. And with 122 million parts wow, to choose from, you will be back in the game in no time. After all, it's easy to bring home a win with the right part. 122 million. Uh, wow. Uh, I had no idea that many parts existed. But... <laughs> It's easy to come home with a win when the right parts are guaranteed. So get the right parts, the right fit, and the right prices on ebaymotors.com. Let's ride. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Um, I actually think there's a, a better chance, Andy, that Dylan Brooks ends up as the one on tilt. We, we almost saw that in game two, and Taylor Jenkins made a very smart substitution in the third quarter, pulling Dylan Brooks in favor of David Roddy. 
um, at a time where Brooks was getting a little too hyped. You really um, think so a I, guy like this could get too hyped? <laughs> really? <laughs> I mean, that is so memeable. <laughs> we we must be watching two different guys, Brian. I know. Um, so I, I I think that is actually you know the 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 larger potential downside um, is Dylan Brooks you know working himself into a froth um, and and either picking up fouls, doing something, or shooting a lot. Um, which would be beneficial to the Lakers. Um, anyway, back to this Kobe point. I think where the difference is between those guys and why Kobe is a little more um, prone to that kind of baiting is that he was looked at as sort of a, a one-on-one ISO scorer. Sure, like that was that was so much part of his persona and his profile as a player. Where LeBron despite being the all-time leading scorer in NBA history and averaging 30 points a game for the last couple of years and multiple times over the course of his career, uh, give or take, is still not viewed... He's still seen, first and foremost, as a guy who's going to go out and facilitate, who's going to create opportunities for others, and then you kind of look up at the end of the game, and or if it's needed, okay, 45 points. Um, and I, I, I think you can goad someone into doing something they are naturally inclined to do anyway a little bit easier than pulling LeBron out of the way that he is sort of the, the way that he has approached the game and played for it. It doesn't make one guy better than the other. It just means, you know, the, the, their approaches and their styles and stuff, I think, protect LeBron a little bit more in this case. Look, like I said, if I had to bet on it, I don't bet on LeBron taking the bait. It, my point in bringing up the comparison with Kobe was just you never know. Um, mm-hmm. And look, LeBron's got a long-ass memory, and he is certainly, because we've seen this in the past, uh, You know, Jason Terry, when he was with the Celtics, and the dunk that LeBron threw down on him as a member of Heat that could have been like an arrestable offense comes to mind after the back and forth that LeBron and Jet and Jet had, you know, going back to that 2011 finals, like LeBron is not above trying to, you know, cock back the hammer <laughs> on oh. guys that he doesn't Oh like. yeah. But he will take if there is an opportunity here um or multiple opportunities to humiliate Brooks, LeBron will absolutely take them. Here's what I hope happens no matter what. As much as the theater of LeBron absolutely going to town on Dylan Brooks would be amazing, what I ultimately want is for LeBron to expend the right amount of energy however this shakes out and not announce more. Because at 38, season 20, and by his own admission, tired, he does not have the, the requisite energy reserve to screw around with Dylan Brooks. Like if it, if it happens organically, go at the guy, but I am more concerned, honestly, about it wasting LeBron's energy than taking the Lakers out of their offense. Yeah. And I, or a different player too. like Dylan Brooks, isn't going to get LeBron to overreact because LeBron has this sort of weighted respect for him. And what it would only because he's super duper annoying. Um, which is a different different kind of deal. <laughs> but um, so we'll see what happens in game three. There's one of the most interesting things that always happens after you lose a game is that sort of conversation about what should 
what should you do next to avoid the failure? How do what do you change? What do you adjust? All that Memphis had massive adjustments that they made as much out of necessity as strategy because John Morant didn't play. That meant a, a different way, you know, different kinds of shots, um, you know, different different action on pick and rolls, all that stuff, just because Jaw's not there. The Lakers, though, are going to be playing with the same basic personnel. When you look between game two and game three, what would you like to see different um, other than, you know, maybe shoot better than 42%? Um, I'd like to see him play with more pace. You know, it was, it was something that LeBron and Darvin Ham talked about, like not necessarily running, Although, mm-hmm. you know, if you can, great, because that's when the Lakers are at their best. But just quicker decisions, quicker actions, get into sets quicker, do everything with more precision and purpose quicker. Because the more you dribble against the Grizzlies, especially if a secondary defender comes, like it's more likely a strip. This is a team that's really good at creating turnovers. The slower they go, the more I think you give a good defensive team time to double. Like Rui is a really good example here. Like he's in a good groove right now. But he also doesn't screw around when he has the ball. Like Rui makes a lot of quick decisions, whether you're talking about putting up his own shot or just getting rid of the ball if the shot isn't there. Like like one way or another, I think he tends to operate pretty quickly. I would like to see other guys on the team just look for that focus, make things happen quicker. And I agree with you. And it, it's because, I mean, I, you know, I've seen people talking about different things with the defense. And, you know, one of the things that actually did happen in this game was, um, you know, Anthony Davis ending up on Jackson Moore, which obviously pulls him away from the basket a little bit. It makes you a little more prone to offensive free. But there's all kinds of, you know, there's positives and negatives to it. Um, Jackson, on the other hand, did not go off for nearly the type of offensive performance that he did in game one. But the bottom line is the Lakers did it, did the, 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 the effort or the results, I should say, on de- on defense were more than acceptable. Lakers didn't lose that game because they gave up too many points. They, they scored 93. That's not going to win in a in an NBA game in 2023 very often. Um, so defensively, I think they're fine. They have to figure out a way to score more efficiently, which will, by the way, also take the air even more out of a Memphis offense that if Jaw's not there or if Jaw's limited – is it self-limited? They're not a good half-court team. If you make shots, you make Memphis take the ball out of the basket and go play that way. I mean, it, it's and I feel like from that question of pace, Anthony Davis. You talk about Rui. Anthony Davis goes does better when he goes. Mm-hmm. There are times when it's nice to see him wait, draw a double, kick it out, but go. Mm-hmm. James Worthy's talked about that. You heard Ori talking about it. The other thing I thought was really interesting, Ori mentioned was like he in in game two with all the littles that were thrown at him, Davis was trying to, he was saying trying to play too big, back to the basket. He's a face-up player. You've got a little guy on face up anyway. Don't change what you're doing. And I feel like AD got way deep into that thinking mode that he gets into. And you are correct. When they go slower, he goes slower, and everything bogs down. There are a couple guys that I don't mind kind of waiting and probing, whatever. LeBron, you know, to I think has the the kind of the freedom to do. I like when, you know, good things tend to happen when Reeves puts the ball on the floor and, and gets into the paint. But, you know, D'Lo can be too deliberate sometimes. He's better when catch, move, do something, make a proactive move. I agree with you. It's not about running. It's about what kind of pace are you playing at. Uh, it's a really good point. I think it would be a huge adjustment for them in game three. 
Yeah, the other thing too, and I mean, it's been a theme all year, but I think it's especially going to be important in this game against this defense. Um, and with the Lakers, frankly, not being a great offensive team, even under the in best circumstances, not a good right. They have to stop turning the ball over, especially early, because you don't want to find yourself having to dig out of another hole. Whether you know this team has shown they can do it, they've done it a lot this season. It's just a lot of they almost did it on they almost did it on Wednesday. I, I was looking up some splits uh, post All Star break, just turnovers and wins and losses, like seeing if there were certain things that jumped out in the way it affected. And like the turnover discrepancy in wins and losses isn't big; it's more or less the same number. But uh, here's something though that did jump out at me. First, they uh, shoot six percent worse behind the arc in losses. Um, which makes me wonder if, you know, the turnovers affect their rhythm um, from behind the arc. But this was really the big thing. Since the All-Star break, in wins, opponents average a little under than 15 points off turnovers against the Lake Lakers, which is respectable. It's top 10 mm -hmm. in the league. But in losses, they average 21, which is really bad. It is worse than the 20 points the Pacers gave up on average off turnovers as the worst team in the league since the All-Star break. It's also the fourth worst average in the league in losses since the All-Star break. So points off turnovers don't always hurt the Lakers, but when they do, they absolutely destroy them. Same thing with points, uh, fast break points, which are, I think, in a lot of cases related to turnovers. When they hurt the Lakers, they destroy the Lakers. So they avoiding turnovers will just increase their averages. If you're playing the averages, like the odds, they will increase their odds of winning just by cutting down those turnovers and cutting down that opportunity to score mm -hmm. off turnovers. And it turns it turns Memphis into a half court. There's a lot of Spider-Man meme going on in this series. And Memphis not a very good, not a, not not as good as, as a half court team as they are when they move. And so you know, there's that as well. The last thing I would say is the Lakers are well aware of their um, strength at getting to the line. Um, they play into it, I think, rightly so. Um, they, they try to get – Wednesday was a good example of them not reacting well when they weren't getting calls where they were hunting, I think, for fouls and free throws rather than going to the basket and absorbing contact and going to the line if they'll send you there, but trying to score more than trying to get fouled. I think there, you know, there's a fine line between those things. Uh, it is easy to lose the balance, and they lost the balance, I thought, on Wednesday. And when they're not getting the calls and the shots aren't going in, it messes up. Their, they, you know, you're, in, you're unbalanced you know, going back the other way. The shot quality isn't as good. And so make your shots. I mean, that's make or miss league. Don't shoot twenty percent from three point range. I mean, um, which was they shot the ball horribly on one Wednesday. But then also, too, what kind of shots are you taking? What's the attitude behind them? So don't foul hunt in the same way. Um, attack, but don't don't go there just to get fouled. Yeah. Um, last thing I would have before. Oh, go we ahead. Go, sure. Um, something I tweeted out. Let us know your thoughts in the comments section. I may put up an official uh, side poll or something like that. Is Dylan Brooks Draymond Green light? Or is Draymond Green, Dylan Brooks heavy? Discuss. 
Curious what um, think. All right. So Locked on Lakers on YouTube is where you can go to see the show and uh, participate and leave questions and comments and talk to each other and talk to us. Uh, thanks for making Locked on Lakers first listen of every day. Reminder to the everydayers, check back in uh, on Sunday because we're going to have something up for you uh, following game three. That is certainly the plan at the very least. Um, all right. Everybody have a great Friday and enjoy your weekend.